You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Welcome to Saturday night on All the Things. And we're excited to have you here. As you can see, it's a very sad day. The chair is empty. My co host, Monique Dasan, is um, not feeling well. I'll talk about, more about that in a minute. But this is All the Things. This is the show where we discuss. All the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, you can just find me anywhere and everywhere as Theology Mom. And uh, while you're here, uh, be sure to click on the share button and share this video as we're watching live right now with uh, people in your social media network. Help us get the word out. And that's just a really great practical way to help support this ministry. Um, This is the show where we discuss cultural issues of the day in light of the Christian worldview. And those of you who caught our broadcast last week, you know, we shared a little bit about Monique's journey through post-traumatic stress disorder uh, and her adventures on the mission field in South Africa, where she um, got post-traumatic stress disorder after being attacked multiple times. And As she mentioned on the show last week, ironically, uh, there are some moments where she struggles and and, um, this is one of those days. And so we're all going to have a little grace with her as as she's not with us tonight, but we're going to go ahead and push forward because we have a wonderful guest that I am super excited about. I can't even believe that he said yes to coming on my, my little show. Um, but if you haven't yet caught our discussion from last week about Monique's journey on the mission field, it's a great kind of adjunct to our discussion tonight that we're going to be having with Art Thomas. He's an evangelist and missionary and has also done mission work in Africa. And he's going to be with us to talk about the question, does healing still happen today? Does God still heal and a whole bunch of questions related to healing and um, tying in a little bit about his ministry in South Africa. Toward the end of the show, I really hope to finally get to our friend Juad's question um, from our live stream that we did a few weeks ago now um, on the question, how can a loving God send people to hell who have never heard of him. It's a very common question that many people ask. And we just ran out of time last week. We didn't have time to do it. So I'm hoping to pick that up. Plus the tweet of the week, a very important tweet. Woo! So, and as usual, you can join us in the live chat. Uh, Join the conversation. Uh, You can text chat your questions to Art Thomas And we do want to thank you for your prayers for Monique, Laura. We really appreciate that. We're going to miss her tonight, miss her voice. But um, we are, yeah, praying for her would be awesome. I also want to introduce our uh, official button pusher, my husband, Bob, who really, I couldn't do this show without him. Hello. (laughs) So, um, and as we're talking about healing, I'm really hoping that Bob can... uh, juggle pushing the buttons and jumping into the conversation as well, because this is something that he's passionate about. So let's talk a little bit about healing. About four and a half years ago, I uh, went down a rabbit hole on YouTube watching videos about healing. I started, uh, I stumbled across a video with a guy named Todd White, 
which I did a live stream about Todd White a few, few weeks ago. And um, over the course of a few months, I probably watched over a hundred videos on YouTube related to healing, teachings about healing. And my husband and I kind of went on this journey of trying to understand these videos um, by people like Todd White, Pete Cabrera Jr., um, Tom Loud, who else, Bob? Tom Fisher. Yeah. Yeah. And um, And Art Thomas Thomas was one of them. You know how YouTube gives you those little suggested videos? It popped up. I think he had a message on like 10 things Jesus never said about healing. And um, I clicked on it. And the reason that kind of prompted this study was that, and many of you know this, is that I had been miraculously healed after 30 years of struggling with bipolar disorder. And uh, my theology got a little wrecked. (laughs) I was living um, a very uh, cessationist, happy life of thinking that miracles were more on the rare side. I prayed for miracles my whole life. I had never seen a miracle, Um, but I still theoretically believed in them. But I just thought that they were fairly rare and unusual and mostly happened in other countries. Um, and then when I got healed and then I started seeing more miracles, um, I really started to rethink some things in my theology. So as I watched Art Thomas's videos, I found him extremely thoughtful and engaging and measured and careful and biblical. And so I liked his simple approach and um, I'm just super honored to have him on the show tonight. So let's bring him up here and meet a new friend, Art Thomas. Welcome to the program. Thanks. You made me want to meet me. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, if I remember right, you live in like the Detroit area. Yeah, correct. And, and you are always um, kind of traveling and speaking. And I like your style and partnership with with churches you're not trying to come in and kind of do your own thing you're really wanting to partner with pastors and what they're doing and helping to equip and train their congregations so maybe you can just introduce us a little bit more to your ministry and yourself and how you got into the arena of of physical healing yeah um Gosh, I usually don't like talking about me, but I guess the <laughs> the simplest, uh, shortest description would be: I grew up in a church where we believed in healing, uh, but I believed sometimes it's God's will to heal, sometimes it isn't, and it just so happens every time I try, it isn't, because uh, I laid hands on hundreds of people and nothing ever happened, and so miracles were this thing that happened sometimes, somewhere, uh, but certainly not through my hands, and. As I grew up in this environment, I eventually, you know, uh, uh, went to school, got credentialed with our uh, Pentecostal denomination and all the whole thing. I mean, that that means I know everything, right? And um, unfortunately, I had still never seen God work any kind of miracle through my hands. And then, long story short, there was a couple in our church, a husband and wife, both of them were diagnosed with cancer, and then uh, they were convinced God wanted to heal them. I wasn't. And as a pastor, you know, you go through all these feelings of like, gosh, I don't want to see them put all their eggs in one basket and then one of them dies and the other one's faith is wrecked, you know? So we as pastors, we're trying to be all palatable with everybody and, you know, 
just, you know, it's wonderful you're believing brother and sister, but, you know, if it doesn't happen, God is still faithful. You know, they're like, we know that, but we're believing for healing. <laughs> so long story short, the husband was healed and the wife died of cancer. Wow. And we fasted and prayed for the wife. We didn't fast and pray for the husband. And I was like, we jumped through more hoops to get her healed and it didn't happen than him. And so that set me on this like, okay, well, maybe I, I'm trying to come up with reasons. You know, when, the, when the, uh, the epileptic boy was brought to the nine disciples, Jesus, Peter, James, and John come down off the mountain. And, and Mark 9, it says, Jesus found the disciples and the teachers of the law arguing with each other. Why? Because, I mean, the, they'd tried to cast the, the spirit out of this boy and it didn't work. And I don't know what their arguments were, but uh, I know this. When we have a lack of results, we present lack of results. So their, their arguments were, I don't know, um, but I know what ours are. Ours are things like, well, maybe the little boy didn't have enough faith. Maybe his dad didn't have enough faith. Maybe it was the teachers, the law, creating an atmosphere of unbelief, whatever. Uh, but Jesus never made any of those excuses. He showed up and he goes, what's going on? Uh, they tell the story. He goes, bring the boy to me. And it's done that quick. And so I've realized, you know, when Jesus does it, he gets it done. And here I was with this husband and wife sitting there, or I'm sorry, just the husband now. And I'm like trying to process, is this one of those things where it would have worked for Jesus? And it messed with me. My, my best explanation at the time was, you know, they had gone to see some faith healer at some meeting and uh, he laid hands on them. And I was like, well, I guess that guy's got a gift of healing, you know, though that I that God was up in heaven saying not my will not my will not my will every time I laid hands on him and then when this other guy does God's like oh boy I gave that guy a gift I guess I gotta heal him this time that doesn't make sense I was like gifts don't trump the will of God they illustrate it and it took me three months honestly because I had developed a very complicated theology to make myself comfortable with my lack of results and I had processed this whole thing. I had arguments and, and explanations and excuses, really, for everything and could explain away any scripture that spoke to the contrary. And uh, it took me three months to unlearn all the ideas I had been spoon-fed by well-meaning people who were taught by well-meaning people. And, you know, I don't fault them. But uh, once I unlearned all that and just studied the four Gospels in the Book of Acts for three months and looked at some other people who had results and... Uh, it was like all of a sudden these threads started to weave together and I was like, oh my goodness, I can't unsee it. It's there. And it's yeah. like, I don't even have to do mental gymnastics to make it work. It's, it's straight up simple. So I preached it to the youth group I was pastoring and uh, I'd still never seen a miracle through my hands, but I preached to them, God wants to heal. He wants to use you to do it. And then I turned the students loose on each other, had them all pray for one another. And there was an intern at our church named Josh who had an ear infection and being an intern with no money, no health insurance, uh, <laughs> he was just letting it go and it was getting worse and worse. And he didn't tell us because he's also a young 20 something year old who's macho, you know. So uh, he has these seventh grade boys praying for him. Nothing's happening. Josh comes up to me. And of course, I'm standing back because God's never used me. And I'm just hoping, you know, if we have enough people praying, we'll throw enough stuff against a wall, something will stick, right? You know, <laughs> maybe someone in the room will have faith. So I'm standing back because it never works through me. And Josh comes up. He goes, Pastor Art, I feel terrible. And I'm like, why? He goes, well, they prayed for me and nothing happened. And I don't want to make them feel bad. 
And I'm like, tell him to do it again. And he's like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I didn't know. I was just telling him what I saw someone else do on YouTube. So, <laughs> so he goes back. He said, pray again. And uh, they, they try again. This time, the two boys come up to me. Pastor Art, we tried everything. And I'm like, really? You tried everything. What did you try? And they listed a whole bunch of stuff. And, and I'm like, you didn't try everything. Now, at this moment, I'm not thinking, let me show them how it's done. Because it's never worked for me. At this moment, I'm thinking these seventh grade boys said we tried everything. And I know like I'm one of those smart aleck literal youth pastors is like, you didn't try everything. You know, uh, you didn't pour ketchup on his head. I mean, there's a whole lot that everything encompasses. So I, uh, I said, you didn't try everything. They're like, yeah, we did. I'm like, what'd you try? We prayed for him. We laid hands on him. We said in Jesus name, I go, you didn't try everything. Did you try this? And I walk up to Josh, stick my finger in his ear and said, open as a joke. And he goes, oh my gosh, that worked. And I was like, oh my gosh, that worked. (laughs) I was more surprised than him. And uh, that's when I learned that it wasn't about knowing enough. It wasn't about feeling the right feelings, thinking the right thoughts, saying the right words. Like I didn't even say in Jesus name, like you're supposed to. I I didn't take it seriously. I didn't squint my eyes really tight and try to push power out my arm like I'd done every other time. It was like the time I wasn't trying at all, that's the time it happened. And I've realized the less I try, the more likely it is to happen because it's not about my work. It's all about his and Jesus does it all. Yeah. Well, let's break all that down a little bit because (laughs) you kind of gave a great big picture and there's definitely some parallels between your journey and my journey into this this arena. And um, let's maybe just talk a little bit biblically. And I was talking to you before we went on the air. I said, Oh, I see you have Craig Keener's miracles, right? Right behind you there. I have that in my library too. (laughs) And uh, I love Dr. Keener. And um, so let's just try to break this down a little bit biblically, because I agree with you. Once I started rereading the gospels after my own healing, I started seeing things differently and then I just couldn't unsee it. And Mm. because the immediate thing the way that I was trained in seminary is Jesus is God and that's why he heals. And that has nothing to do with you because you are a wretched sinner. And um, maybe I should say I used to be a Calvinist too. So um, that was sort of the paradigm that I was, that I was operating in. Yeah. But as I reread the book of Luke, what I was really struck with was, the repeated statements early in Luke's gospel of how Jesus walked in power and authority and that the, the miracles were set up to demonstrate that he had power and authority. He had power over sickness. He had authority over sickness and demons mm-hmm. and death. But then he deputizes his disciples in chapter nine and he sends out the 12 and he says, okay, now you go do these things. And that's how you bring the kingdom of God near what we call the gospel. The good news is that Jesus has come and the blind can see, the deaf can hear, and the lame can walk. And But then I thought, okay, well, that's just the 12. And then I turned the page and I got to chapter 10. And then he sends out the 72 and he tells them <laughs> to do the same thing. Yes. Well, as a good theologian, I know that the 72 represents us. It represents every Christian. It's not just the apostles. And then I was like, wow, okay, I got to, I got to rethink some things. 
And um, <laughs> then going through the, the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 8, where you have non-apostles, you have Philip the evangelist doing the same things, healing, casting out demons, and that that was how the gospel went out. That was how we brought the kingdom near to people. I was like, all right, so it's not just Jesus. It's not just the 12. (laughs) It's every Christian. How do I begin to now apply that to me? And I don't know. That was sort of my journey of thinking it through biblically. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, the the whole like Jesus is God thing. I remember debating this with a friend of mine because if you haven't guessed by now, I am now convinced that it is always God's will to heal that the same God who always wills to save, that it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord wills that none should perish and that all would come to repentance. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 4 says that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of him. I'm like, the fact that people die in their sin is not proof that God doesn't want to save everyone. And the fact that some people aren't healed is not proof that God doesn't want to heal everyone. Um, What God wants is expressed through the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, the whole picture. And Jesus perfectly revealed the Father. Hebrews 1, 3, the, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Uh, John five nineteen, the Son does nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his Father doing. John 14, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's like over and over and over, he's revealing the Father. And every single person who came to him, called out to him, reached out and touched the hem of his garment, had someone else come on their behalf, it always worked. So I'm debating this with a friend of mine who came from the same kind of background you did. And uh, he goes, you know, the reason Jesus healed everybody was, you know, he was God. You're not God. You can't do that. And I'm like, well, hold on just a second. I said, your logic doesn't play out. You say God doesn't want to heal everybody. Jesus healed everybody because he's God. You see the problem. You know, you can't have it both ways. So he goes, well, what about maybe he's, uh, you know, standing back and the father's showing him who to minister and he's only ministering to the people God wants him to heal and not ministering to the people he doesn't. Well, that's great, except for passages like in Luke 6, where it's like, um, you know, as many as touched him were healed because power was coming from him and healing them all. And there's, you know, or places that, like where, all that came to him got yes, healed. Yeah. yeah. Or they, as many as touched the hem of his garment were healed, not just the one woman with the issue of blood, but there's whole crowds in some passages. So I'm like, I don't think Jesus was playing dodgeball with him, jumping out of the way, like, not you, you touch the hem of my garment. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So, um, yeah, so I, I said, there's, there's, that's a problem. Then I go, here's another problem. Philippians 2, I think it starts in verse 5. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to. Um, The 2011 version of the NIV says he did not consider his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness, made himself obedient to death, even death on a cross. Hebrews 2.17 says that he was fully human in every way, right? And of course, in John 5.19, he said the son can do nothing by himself, right? And so he's out there doing all these miracles, showing us what it looks like as a human being free from sin in right relationship with the father. And then he pays the price with his own blood so that we could be free from sin in right relationship with the father. It changes everything. So that in Acts 10 38, he's not saying, 
Jesus went around healing everybody because he was God. But this is Peter preaching to Cornelius' household. And he says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, I believe John 1.1. I believe Jesus was and is God. But Acts 10.38 doesn't say Jesus healed all because he was God. It says he healed all because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power and God was with him. So he showed us what it looks like when a human being lives as we were designed to live. That's really great. And I think that it's important for people to kind of understand this paradigm that you're talking about, because I was so um, drilled in with this of like, well, it's just not God's will for everyone to be healed because not all are healed. And when I understood the analogy of evangelism, well, it's God's will that, that no one should perish, Uh that all should come to eternal life, but not all do. Why is that? And so um, there is some other kind of reason as to why people don't get healed. And because I think that's the immediate go-to that people have is, well, if you're going to say that it's God's will for everyone to be healed, then why don't, why isn't everyone healed? Well, that's, a different question, but, yeah. but, um, I think that that paradigm switch of thinking about like, oh, okay, just as God wants everyone saved, but not all do get saved. How do I think through that problem? It's a similar analog to this, this healing question. Yeah. And I think something we got to remember is, uh, you know, when it, biblically speaking, salvation only happens by your own faith. There's no amount of faith I can have that can save my family. So it's got to be uh, spaces faith alone. But when it comes to healing, what we see over and over throughout the scripture is the minister's faith. Like when the disciples couldn't cast the demon out of the epileptic boy, later they came to Jesus and said, why did it work for you and not for us? And in Matthew 17, Jesus says, because you had so little faith. He didn't blame the boy or the dad or anybody else. He looked at the ministers. Um, James 5, it says that, uh, you know, bring the, or the sick person should go to the elders of the church and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Whose prayer? The elder's prayer. Whose faith? The elder's faith, Right. So there is a responsibility for us in ministering to other people to have the faith for them. Uh, I do want to offer a little caveat there that what you don't see throughout Scripture is Jesus putting any pressure on family members to have that faith. Um, So when the epileptic boy is brought, the boy's dad is like, uh, Lord, if you can do anything, help my son. And Jesus goes, if I can do anything, anything's possible for him who believes. And uh, in other words, I believe. So of course I can do it. But the boy's dad thinks he's talking about him. He's like, I do believe. Help my unbelief. He didn't know what he believed, right? And Jesus ignores that. He doesn't try to help his unbelief. He just says, bring the boy to me. And it works for him, right? And then later he explains to his disciples if they had had the faith for it, cool. So God puts the responsibility on us, the body of Christ. Even in that story, he didn't single out one of the disciples like, you, Bartholomew, you're the one who didn't have the faith. It's, you know, if you'd have just done it. And that's why we don't read about Bartholomew later. But um, (laughs) no, it it was more like you collectively, the body, which, well, I know at that time, it wasn't technically the body of Christ, but his followers. And today we collectively, the body of Christ, like 
we have a responsibility. If every single person who touched his body when he walked this earth was healed, what ought to be happening through the body of Christ today in this earth? It's, it's a very difficult and provocative question for us in the West, I think, because we have been so programmed to not expect miracles and to not expect healing. And um, I think that that is a very important point because there are certain strains of the Pentecostal and charismatic and word faith traditions that tell people, well, the reason you didn't get healed is because you didn't have enough faith. And they put this kind of albatross around the neck of the sick person. Yep. And when I talk about this with people, I'm always like very quick to point out, like, that's not their problem. And mm-hmm. we don't need to worry about like making sure we have the right atmosphere and making sure <laughs> right. everything's all set up. And are there any doubters in the room on a scale of one to 10? What's your doubt level? And if it's right. a little too high, can you step out in the narthex? Um, yeah. It's, it's not like that. Um, it's, yeah. it's my responsibility as a Holy Spirit filled Christian to yeah. pray for healing. And I've it's done this. The, it's oh, the sick ahead. person's responsibility to receive the healing and we're all kind of in this journey together. And my job is to obey. Their job mm-hmm. is to receive. And we have to have our job straight. Where I'm not trying to jimmy up enough faith to yep. make sure that a healing happens. Now, that's not to say that every person I pray for does gets healed. I mean, there's been some very difficult situations where yep. people have even died that my husband and I have prayed for. On the other hand, I certainly have seen many more miracles than I ever saw in my first 44 years of life um, since I started praying this way. Um, Mm -hmm. I've seen multiple people now healed from bipolar disorder. I've seen multiple people. um, uh, My husband prayed for a guy. He specifically prayed that the guy would get a new organ. And on his last doctor's appointment, the guy says, yeah, that organ seems to be growing back. And (laughs) I mean, Things have, I, we've definitely seen many more miracles since we stepped into this. Now, that's not to say it's 100%, right. but our faith is growing. And quite candidly, I spent 44 years breaking my childlike faith, and I had to repent of that. I remember the, the moment where the Lord told me, like, Chris, you need to repent from breaking your childlike faith and trying to that's figure good. everything out and leaning on your own understanding of everything. And yeah, that was a fun moment. So, <laughs> but um, let me, let me ask you this um, a, a little bit about the question of the spiritual gift, because that's yeah. always another question that comes up is, yeah. isn't healing a special spiritual gift? And you have sort of persuaded me that it's, it's for everybody. So let's, let's talk about that or for all spirit filled Christians. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, there's there are, first of all, a number of ways that you can look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, um, and diff- different ways of interpreting that. Um, one of those ways is to recognize that Paul could have been talking about in a particular meeting, uh, not everybody speaks in tongues, not everybody heals. Um, it's, it's possible. Uh, It's also possible he's talking about resident giftings that exist in people, those kind of things. But what you got to kind of think about is like when Paul says at the beginning of uh, 1 Corinthians 12 about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. He's not about to do a teaching about like defining spiritual gifts because he doesn't. 
What he does is he teaches them how to love with the gifts. Spirit gifts were, he just starts listing some so that, uh, you know, it kind of makes a connection in their brains of what he's talking about. But um, when you start looking at all these teachings on gifts, I mean, you've got these things like word of knowledge and, and, you know, word of wisdom that there's not really a definition for. But then if you go in John 16, Jesus describes how the Holy Spirit works. He says, um, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears and he will bring glory to me because he will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So in first Corinthians 12, for instance, you see a gift of faith, right? Well, every Christian's got to have faith or else you're not saved. And so, you know, if we are going to take the hardline stance that says not everybody gets every gift, um, which personally, I believe that the Holy Spirit can give you whatever gift you need at any moment. But, but let's just take the hardline stance. One person gets one gift, another gets another, and that's what you walk in for your whole life. If one person gets a gift of faith, who's everybody else? How are the rest of them Christians? Like we all need faith or we're not saved. So there's got to be a difference between a gift of faith and the faith that every Christian has. And that's when you start realizing, okay, everybody's given a measure of faith. But at some point in our life, we come across a situation that the faith we've grown into as we go from faith to faith, as one passage says, is just not going to cut it. So what God does is he does this little breakthrough moment for us where the Holy Spirit takes from what is Jesus, makes it known to us, and suddenly we operate at Jesus-level faith, get through that scenario, and come back down and keep growing in our own. And I've seen it happen in my own life. I've seen it happen in others' lives. Well, what about other things? What about things like hospitality in Romans 12, listed as a gift of the Spirit? Well, every Christian's supposed to be hospitable, so we grow in that hospitality, but then there are times when the Holy Spirit takes Jesus' hospitality, makes it known to us, and suddenly we're serving at a whole new level where people who, are, who we're taking care of, they feel like Jesus is taking care of them. And so when it comes to healing, I would suggest there's a difference between the gifts of healings, as the King James puts it, it's plural, and the sign of healing, which shows up in Mark 16, verses uh, 17 and 18, where Jesus said, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons. Well, that's not a gift of the Spirit for only a few. That's authority for everybody. He said, they'll speak in new tongues. Now, I admit, I come from a biased perspective of a Pentecostal background um, where everybody speaks in tongues. Uh, but at the very least, even if someone disagrees with that as a principle, we should at least be able to agree, according to Scripture, that God's prototype for the first church on day one at Pentecost was 100% of the people speaking in tongues. Um, so at least it was happening there. Um, but that was everybody. Um, then he says, uh, if you, you'll pick, he says, you'll pick up snakes with your hands, and if you drink deadly poison, it won't harm you at all. Um, that's not an invitation to dance around with a python at, you know, worship service. That's like uh, Paul reaches into the firewood and a viper latches onto his hand and the islanders can't figure out why he doesn't die, right? Um, and he's like completely unaffected. That's uh, divine protection. Gifts of the Spirit, Paul says, are for the common good. But, you know, it's not like, hey, Sister Gladys is going to drink poison for the common good. I don't know. Maybe you haven't met Sister Gladys. That might be for the common good. But uh, sorry, that's a bad joke. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
But no, that, that doesn't make sense. This is a sign that accompanies those who believe, not a gift of the Spirit for the common good, where the Holy Spirit's taking something of Jesus. Make, no, this is, this is something we grow in. And then the last one on the list is, they shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And it's, it's those who believe. And for those who look at Mark 16 and they say, well, that's, you know, if you read the commentaries, that's only in certain manuscripts and the later manuscripts, not the earlier ones. Okay. But you know what is in every manuscript is John 14, 12, where Jesus said, everyone who believes in me will do the same things I've been doing and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Everybody wants to debate what he meant by greater works and we can do that, but let's start doing the same works that he said we would do. And then we can start talking about greater. And uh, that's, that's for everybody, everyone who believes in him and you can't get away from it. Yeah, so, kind, kind of the way that I've thought about that in similar fashion is that all of us are called to be disciples. We're all mm-hmm. called to follow Jesus and to yes. follow in his path as our rabbi. And I like to say that he enrolls us in his supernatural ministry school. Yeah. And if we will walk in these things, interesting things will start to happen. And that as a disciple, part of obedience is praying for the sick, casting out demons and, and having faith that pushes the gospel forward. And even in that you will see supernatural things happen when you start taking risks. I often say that faith grows at the intersection of risk and opportunity. And if you don't step into the risk, the faith won't grow. And if you want to know the outcome ahead of time, that's not faith. That's Mm. what Proverbs uh, uh, 3.6 calls leaning on your own understanding first. And so we have to, as Christ's disciples, step into that. And that call is for everybody. The call to walk in Jesus's power and authority is for all Christians. It's part of our identity in Christ. Yep. And um, I would challenge my Baptist friends who say, well, that's just a Pentecostal idea. Um, people like Dr. Neil Anderson or Dr. Carl Payne, who are coming from the Baptist persuasion. You read their books on spiritual warfare, and they're saying very similar things that we're saying here. That yep. as you walk in the power and authority of Jesus as his disciple, these things are the things you ought to be doing. Now, I think my theory of the gift of healing is that um, there's certain people who just seem particularly gifted. Like they pray for the person and, you know, they're, they're just like off the hook with, with sure. who they can pray for and seeing the results. But then that in turn encourages our faith Bingo. and that, that maybe they're the ones who are equipping and training others and bringing them along. Just as I have a gift of teaching, I train others not so that they can learn nothing on their own, but so that they can be equipped to train, to train their own children or to train someone else. And so um, that's how the body works. Well, that's, that's that Jesus level healing ministry we're talking about. Like I have one friend that for a period of time, every kind of healing ministry was hit or miss, but when he ministered to anybody from their elbow to their fingertips, it was always healed hundred percent results. My wife went through a two-year period where every kind of healing hit or miss, but when it came to degenerative eye diseases, every single time the person was healed. And I'm like, that's, that's a gift. Uh, I've been in a meeting where in that particular meeting, every person I laid hands on was healed. 
but it, it was like the gift came and then it was gone. And, um, I, I, yeah, I definitely classify those people that either it's resident for a period for whatever, or it's, uh, it's in a particular place, whatever. Um, but even going back to your statement about being disciples, like in Matthew 28, Jesus sends out the, the 12 saying, uh, go into all the world, preach the gospel. And then he says, make disciples of all nations and um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now that one of those commands was go make disciples, which means every disciple makes disciples. We're all supposed to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Right. Another one of those commands in Matthew chapter 10, verse eight was heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, drive out demons, freely you've received, now freely give. So if it's a command to the 12, it's a command to us. And Jesus wouldn't command us to do something that he didn't intend to do with us. Right. I often point out people are like, well, okay, he commanded that, but Jesus, I don't know how to heal the sick. Right. I figured Jesus is like, that's okay. You don't know how to love your enemy either, but I told you to do that too. (laughs) In John 15, five, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so uh, nothing, if you look that up in the Greek, it means nothing. It means nothing. I've done that. (laughs) So I think what's interesting too is one of the differences, and I'm going to play a clip from your work in Uganda here in a minute, but I want to point out kind of your style and approach is just very much imitating Jesus in just commanding. You're just standing in your authority and power in Jesus. You know who you are. You're in your identity and you command the sickness to come out and you just say, eyes be opened or ears be healed. And that's what you're expecting is very reminiscent of what Jesus does. And you're just basically following the pattern of Jesus. And um, I think that Again, the programming of the church is that we're supposed to ask the Father, dear Father, please help so-and-so. If it's your will, will you please heal them? And that's a very different posture than standing in your your authority in Christ and commanding um, that thing to be healed, commanding that arm to be straightened, commanding... um, someone to have a new, a new organ, you know, that's, yeah. that's a very different posture than asking the father to do something. Well, I, I used to be afraid. What if I manipulate the Holy spirit? You know, I, like, I didn't want to speak with authority cause I didn't want to force God to do something he didn't want to do. And then one day the Holy spirit spoke to my heart and said, who do you think you are? <laughs> you think you can manipulate me? <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, I was like, Oh, I guess that is kind of absurd. And I don't know if this is just my sarcastic brain processing his voice, or if this is actually how he said it, but uh, the feeling came to me like the Lord was saying, maybe if you lay hands on somebody and you command them to be healed and I heal them, it's not because you twisted my arm. Maybe it's because you finally started doing what I wanted you to do all along and I partnered with you in it. So, yeah, and I think I'm in sickness. Okay, we had a little drop out there. Sure. Well, I um, said I'm not commanding God to do anything. I'm commanding sickness. Yes. And I think that's the thing is that it, there has to be that switch in our mind is that we're not commanding God to heal. Yeah. We already know he wants to heal. We're commanding the sickness. Yeah. And so when people don't get healed, that's, again, a question of maybe my faith or it's a complicated situation. Sure. Sometimes 
um, I tell people like, well, sometimes it's not a healing that needs to commanded be commanded. Sometimes it's a demon that needs to be cast out. I've seen many healings come through casting out of demons and sure. sometimes it's multiple layers. <laughs> and then sometimes, you know, God uh, uses modern medicine. In fact, we have a, we have a comment here on our chat box on YouTube. Rhyme his song says people focus on instant healing. What about restoration over a longer span of time, like recovering from an injury or regaining strength, stroke recovery or traumatic brain injury? Sure. Well, that's, I mean, those things are awesome and they are functions of our God designed bodies, which I think he should get glory for all of that too. With that said, when Jesus went around healing every single person who came up to him, called out to him, reached out and touched him, in no case did that mean that they got better gradually. If the Bible says a miracle happened, it was and what we would actually call a miracle, not someone poetically thinking that the natural course of things is miraculous. So, you know, blind eyes opening in an instant is a miracle. Um, somebody getting over a fever over three days, you know, that's, that's great. And we praise God for designing our bodies that way. And I'm even grateful for doctors. Like I, if, if you only believe that God sometimes wants to heal and sometimes doesn't, and that um, it's not God's will to heal you, then you shouldn't go to a doctor because then you're fighting against God's will. But if you believe God always wants to heal, then going to a doctor is actually logical because you know God wants you well no matter what. And if the church isn't delivering, at least he's given people wisdom with science that he yeah. created, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm open to all that stuff, but we, we do have to realize that if we're going to go after the miraculous, if we want to be like Jesus, regular course of, you know, bodily healing is great and we're going to praise him for it. But Jesus paid for more than that. And so I'm going to aim for the instantaneous miracle and thank him no matter what and praise him no matter what, worship him no matter what. Um, but I'm still going to aim for the miracle. And it is a very risky space in the West. Yes. And I think that people don't often understand that because if you've never been outside of America or interacted with anyone from another country Mm -hmm. go when, when you hear somebody say, well, you know, let's go after the, the miracles that seems so arrogant and (laughs) risky. And the first time that I I remember praying in a commanding way and commanding sickness, I thought, you know, I've been teaching apologetics for 20 years. I've given entire uh, classes about the nature of faith. And now I see my faith is actually very small because (laughs) when you're to start commanding in your authority over sickness and demons, that's a whole other level of faith that I had never interacted with before. And I, and I felt like, okay, I'm back in like faith preschool. I'm way down here. That was scary. And, um, it, it takes a while, you know, to, to, you know, as you see fruit from it, as you see results from it, your faith grows and then your expectations change. But mm-hmm. at the beginning, when I heard people talk about, when I heard you talk about in a YouTube video, you know, like about going after the miraculous, I thought that is just such an arrogant posture. I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> and um, so let's watch a little short clip here from a, a video in your YouTube channel of you in Uganda in a bush church. And people can kind of see your very simple approach to healing. 
So you're asking them to bring up someone who's deaf or has struggles with with their healing. And it takes a for someone to answer that question. Bit of a Heidi Baker style. Bring bring up your your deaf people. Do we have anyone who is? And then you ask for a blind person or partially blind person. And it was, I thought it was interesting. It wasn't too hard to find someone. They, they just came right up. So I love it that you were, you're just demonstrating, you know, that Jesus really does have power over everything, as it says in the book of Colossians. Um, you need the man from heaven to live inside. And that's it, Art. Right, you just say, in Jesus' name, be healed. Mm-hmm. You don't wave your coat or anything. <laughs> if God told me to wave a coat, I'm sure I'd do it, but uh, that's a stretch for me. I don't usually wear a coat anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you just have a very simple approach, just speaking to the, the thing and telling it to be healed. And then we're going to go back and then you check in. Yep. And then she reports that she can hear. Okay. So that's that's pretty much what your approach is. Yeah. You just command. Sometimes. I mean, okay. like in Acts 19, it says God was doing unusual miracles through Paul that uh, even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his body were taken to the sick and the demons fled and the sicknesses were cast out. And I've realized I only need to be as sent as a handkerchief. So I don't have to strive to push. I don't have to fight for it. Um, Jesus just does it all. So when you speak to the body and you're, you're standing in your authority, do you see results from that? Like talk to us about some of the more dramatic miracles that you've seen. Oh goodness. Well, you know, there's, there's another video you can see on YouTube. Like I, it sounds like I post everything on YouTube. Actually, I haven't put anything up there in a number of years, but it's just because I only put up what the Lord's telling me to, or what I think he's telling me to at least. And, um, but there's this one video on there of a guy named Carlos. And you mentioned Pete Cabrera earlier. This was at a conference that he put on and his friend brings him up to me and goes, uh, hey, my buddy's got hearing loss. Can you pray for him? And I'm like, oh, sure, no problem. Because I had seen all kinds of hearing loss healed and stuff. And so I got my finger in his ear, ear open up in Jesus' name. And little by little, incrementally, actually, suddenly started something started to change. And he goes, he's like plugging his good ear and he's listening. And he's like, dude, I'm hearing people. And um, after a while, like he was, he was like, whoa, I'm hearing. And he asks me to snap my fingers and like back up and back up and he's hearing it. And um, after he's better, he tells me the story. I'm like, can, can you like show the, your testimony? Like, I, I just want to hear what happened. I had no idea. He goes, when I, this guy was 28 years old when he's telling me this. 
He said, when I was, I think he said three, might've been two, but I think it was three years old. He was playing doctor with his sister. She stuck him in the ear with a hairpin and punctured his eardrum. And the doctors went in to check it out and decided the best thing they could do was surgically remove his entire eardrum. And I was like, dude, if you'd have told me that was what was wrong with your ear, I would have quit praying for you 10 minutes ago. Like, <laughs> I didn't have the faith for that. I'm glad you just said hearing loss. So, you know, I've, I've seen God do wild, crazy, dramatic things when I'm not trying that hard. I think a lot of us, we think we've got to speak to tendons and ligaments and know the scientific words in the Latin and all that. But like Peter's mother-in-law is sick and the Bible says Jesus rebuked the fever, right? The fever is a symptom. <laughs> what's, what's that even look like? It's like, stop it. <laughs> it's just a rebuke. So, you know, sometimes Jesus exercised authority by speaking to the condition, like when he rebuked that fever. Sometimes he exercised authority speaking to the body part, like when he grabbed the mute man's tongue and said a fafta, which means open. Sometimes ex he exercised it by speaking to the person, telling them to do something that would be impossible unless they were healed. Get up, take your mat and walk, right? Um, but at no point do you ever see Jesus say, Father, please heal this person. And at no point do you see Jesus's disciples do it. At no point do you see someone who's not a disciple in the book of Acts doing it. It's always be healed, eyes open, get up, take your mat and walk, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a word of command. It's a faith-filled action. It's the shadow touching people in Acts 5. It's the handkerchiefs and aprons in Acts 19. It's the people touching the hem of Jesus' garment. It's so simple and it's not based on our effort and our striving. It's all based on Jesus having already done all the work. It was finished at the cross. So what do you make of the observation that miracles seem to be so much more prevalent in places like Africa than what yeah. we see in the States? Because if, if my friend Monique was here, I know that was a question she would ask yeah. about because she ministered in South Africa. She's ministered in Zambia and other uh, Botswana and sure. and she's like in Africa this is such a non-controversial issue <laughs> right. healing is just expected sure. and in the states it's it's where it's controversial and we have 45 objections and we have to talk about it she said in Africa you know it's just expected and when she was in sure. Africa in fact um she had been allergic, if you can believe this, to sea salt her whole life. She was never able to go in the ocean My mom as a child. Me. And some well, child prayed for her in South Africa, and she got healed from being allergic to sea salt. And she loves love to go it. in the ocean. We just went down to the, the beach a few weeks ago. And wow. um, it's just something she had struggled with her whole life. And right. this child's like, well, that shouldn't be. And just lays hands on her and <laughs> prays for her right there. So Awesome. But yeah. it, we have, it's such a different climate there. You know, I've, I had somebody ask me one time, why do more miracles happen in Africa than here in America? And I said, because we ask that question. Um, <laughs> it's like, I've, I've counting when about 20, but I've been in more than 20, probably close to 30 meetings. Um, around the world where 100% of testable conditions were healed. That's, you know, someone's got a condition, they can test out whether or not right now, whether something's changed or not. And um, every single person testified they were healed and there was nobody saying they, they still needed to be healed. So that's kind of how I define it. Um, half of those happened in the United States. 
So, um, you know, I see the same results everywhere. And I don't, I wouldn't suggest that that's a testament to my faith, because if you've ever seen any of my meetings on YouTube or have ever been to one, you would know that I don't lay hands on hardly anybody. Usually what I do is teach the body of Christ how to do this and then turn them loose on each other. And all I do is take testimonies of what's God's, what, whatever God's doing in room. There is a lot of stuff happening in Africa, but there's a lot of stuff happening here. And I think the disconnect uh, tends to be, how would I put this? If it is the minister's faith that gets the job done, right? Um, I would suggest that there are times when it's not necessarily the minister's faith. You know, there's the paralytic who's laying at Jesus's feet. And it says, when Jesus looked up and saw the four friends who had lowered them through the, the guy through the roof, uh, it says he saw their faith and said to the man, right? Right. So uh, in Africa, there is a lot of help. There's kind of a, a boost to whatever it is that we're carrying because there's other people who are so expectant. Here in the States, you know, I when I'm in Africa, my teaching on healing is God wants to heal. He wants to use you to do it. Put your hand there. Tell him to be healed. Have him tested out. You know, here in the States, I usually have to teach for 45 minutes to help people unlearn all the crazy ideas we've come up with to excuse the way, you know, why miracles don't happen. But even with that said, once we've dealt with some of that stuff and we recognize, oh, wait, God actually wants to do this and I should contend and I shouldn't stop after the first time I tried and nothing happened. I should, I should minister again and again and again until there's a breakthrough. Um, all of a sudden you start to see miracles again. So I like to encourage people like this isn't something that's just happening overseas. This is something that's happening actually very common in America, um, just not in the same, um, how would I put it? It's, it's, you know, it's not on the evening news. Once in a while, a miracle leaks onto the evening news, but it's rare. Um, I like to say that, uh, you know, it's in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus talks about uh, when, we, when you pray, when you fast, all that, um, do it in secret. And he says, then you'll be children of your father in heaven and your father who is in secret will reward you. And I've realized my job is to remain hidden and let him exalt me. You know, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you in due time. His job is to remain hidden and let me exalt him. So the same way God's not out there broadcasting his power in super public ways that make everybody see it, you know, is the same thing with me. I'm supposed to be hidden and let him make me known as he's hidden and I make him known. And as we do that interplay together, neither one of us has to promote ourselves. Instead, we're just constantly lifting up the other person. So God does do a lot of miracles in private. Even Jesus took people outside the city many times or sent people out of the room, not because he needed to clear the atmosphere of unbelief, but because, you know, with the epileptic boy, that was an atmosphere of unbelief and it worked, but simply because he didn't need everybody to see every miracle he did. Yeah. It was actually rare that he pulled someone up in front of everybody. And if he did it, usually it was to teach something like the the man with the shriveled hand who he brought up on the Sabbath to teach them that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, right? So, you know, let's do this with humility and it doesn't have to be broadcast everywhere, but it is happening in the States. That's a great answer. And I think that as you were talking, I was thinking about in the realm of apologetics that I work in um, as, as my job, one of the very frequent objection 
that's on the rise uh, from young people is, well, if God is real, why don't we see miracles today? And I think this has actually a very practical ministry value for the emerging generation. I wish that churches would do more to train children and young people how to walk in their identity in Christ and how to pray for the sick. (laughs) And yeah, uh, yeah, if you have a church, call Art, have him come because uh, do some training with the children and the young people because I think that um, the importance of healing is not just for show. It's that God is wanting to demonstrate that he is more powerful than any other so-called power that is around us. And it's a very tangible evidence for the existence of God. And uh, when you work in the realm of apologetics, miracles are talked about as an evidence for God, but they're always put in the historical context. They're always Mm -hmm. talked about in the first century. Jesus worked miracles. He rose from the dead. Therefore, that's an evidence that he was who he said he was. He's God. But, we forget, I think, the what's available now to us as disciples and that our young people are watching and that they're seeing this kind of lack in what we say we believe, that we're praying for miracles, but then we don't actually hardly ever see any miracles. And I actually think that this conversation is important for pastors and for Christian apologists to, to think about incorporating this into, into ministry. Sure. It, sh- it should be normal for everybody. And, uh, and we've, we've kind of covered that ground, but goodness, I've, I've seen kids do this. My own kids do it. Um, I've seen uh, in, in Kenya, my first trip there in 2011, um, I saw 300 Kenyan school kids all stand up for salvation. And immediately after that, I had them minister healing to each other and every single person got healed. And I only touched one of them, so it wasn't my fault. It's like God does it. And um, they'd only been saved for five minutes. Well, Art, I really appreciate your time and just hanging out with with us a bit. I'm sure that this conversation is going to spark a lot of discussion as people watch it back and on the podcast. But thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know it's late there, but I really appreciate it. I want to encourage everyone to go check out Art's ministry, artthomas.org. And he, if he comes to your area, be sure to go check, uh, check out his speaking and follow him on social media and his projects. He's also a filmmaker. He has, uh, the film, uh, paid in full that is out and he's working on a second film on the, hearing the voice of God. And um, yeah, so we're just, I'm just so enthusiastic that you came on to help introduce some of us to these topics, something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. And I think that it's going to be a good conversation. Let me just check the YouTube comments. Um, Someone says, uh, asked if we could pray for their eyes right now. So let's just hit it in general, because I think you're going to have a lot of people now asking to pray for stuff, but Right now, in Jesus' name, I speak to every single sickness, disease, spirit of infirmity, leave now and never come back. Blind eyes open, deaf ears open, cripples walk, tumors disappear in Jesus' name. Be completely free. 
Uh, I just feel specifically led to speak to arthritis um, in the knees, but really anywhere, go in Jesus' name. I even tell new cartilage to grow in the name of Jesus. And um, uh, yeah, chronic pain, degenerative disc disease. I used to have that. Jesus healed me in April 2011. And today I helped my friend move from one house to another. And I moved half of my house from our, to our new place. And I'm still feeling great. And uh, I know Jesus does it. Um, I also was healed of Crohn's disease. And so if any of you got Crohn's disease, digestive issues, ulcerative, col- ulcerative colitis, anything like that, acid reflux, be healed in Jesus' name. And even if I didn't name it, doesn't matter. My back was healed when a guy had a bunch of words of knowledge and then said, you know what? I don't have to name it for you to be healed. Just put your hand there. And it worked. That's when my back was healed. So right now I bless you in Jesus name. And Father, I thank you for every person watching. I pray that you would ignite something in our hearts that says this is what you made available for all of us. And Jesus, you're worthy to receive everything you paid for. Not just my salvation, not just my perfecting of holiness and all of that, but also the, the, the healing of people in this world right here, right now. Lord, would you use me to do it? And would you let your body in the earth do what you created us to do in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Art. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Krista. God bless. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Art Thomas. And I really want to encourage you today, um, if this is a new realm for you to think about, um, it's a hard issue. This was a long journey for me into this and a lot of scripture study. And um, I think that what happened for me was that when I got healed, it was enough of an interruption in my life that I had to begin to rethink some of my theology. Thankfully, God didn't care about my theology and healed me anyways before I had done uh, some of that reworking. But um, I will say that as my faith grows, I see more healing and it's, it, it's just a, it's a world that I don't completely understand yet. Um, it's, there's a lot of questions. Like I said, I've prayed for people and they've gotten healed and I've prayed for other people and, and they've died anyways. And that's very hard and tragic. Um, and so I don't claim to have all the answers, but these are talking about the things that we've talked about tonight. Um, I hope that it'll get you on a journey of studying the gospels more closely and asking some some questions of the Holy Spirit and just trying to venture into these these topics. I don't know, Bob, do you have anything you want to add there? No, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. Well, I wanted to take a couple of minutes here as we round out the hour. Um, a few weeks ago, I did a live stream during the week, um, and our friend Juwad had asked a great question. On the live stream, we had been talking about this um, – Instagram post from the Hillsong guy, uh, Marty Sampson. And uh, maybe if we can get that up there real quick. Uh, there in the in the, mir- in the uh, middle of the post area, it says, how many miracles happen? Which was the topic tonight. I think that's perfect. Not that many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God of love, how can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe. No one talks about it. I think these are very important questions. And as I said in my live stream, um, you know, there's, it's important to ask these questions. And 
Um, our friend Juwad, who is a Muslim and frequent watcher of the show, had tuned into that live stream and asked that very question of, you know, why would a loving God um, send people to hell? And so I wanted to try to tackle that a little bit. And this answer won't be exhaustively complete, but maybe just give a rough um, idea of the major parameters of, of this conversation. I think that this question arises out of what is perceived to be a, a conflict, an apparent conflict in many people's minds, that God is loving and the statement that some people will go to hell and that there's all these warnings about punishment and um, eternal judgment and that sort of thing. Now, we have to think about this because the question is, is are these statements actually in contradiction to each other? Is there a way that God can be loving, but also that some people go to hell? And um, I would say, start by saying this, that um, often atheists say, well, why didn't God make the world a certain way? Well, I think that um, God chose to make the world. He prefers to make the world in a way where people's free will can be um, preserved and that people can choose to either live their life for God or live their lives for themselves. And that's the world that God has chosen to create is that he wants free will beings to choose to have a relationship with him. And um, so that's one of the, the, the foundational beliefs of the Christian worldview. I would say another one is that God is just, that he is fair. And so that whatever happens on the other side of death will be the result of God's absolute justice, that the virtue of justice isn't something just that we practice as humans. It's a reflection of God's mind and the transcendent justice that is rooted and grounded in his character. So again, our assumptions are that God has preferred to set up a world where humans can have free will. And as part of that, they can freely choose to serve him or to choose to, to go after their own desires. Um, that God is just and he's fair and that whatever happens after death, his justice will be absolutely executed um, uh, for, for that um, after we die. Now, here's what I would also say is that God's justice exposes man's sinfulness and our falling short of holiness. The Bible says, that every person has failed to live up to God's moral law or moral standard. And so we all find ourselves guilty before God. Uh, it says in Galatians chapter six, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that sinful nature, he will reap destruction. The one who sows to Please God's spirit from the spirit. He will re reap eternal life. That's in Galatians chapter six. So this principle of reaping and sowing that, that God has set things up that um, if we sow into our sinful nature, that we will reap destruction. If we sow into the Holy spirit, that we will reap life. Um, now, sometimes I think that this objection comes from a view that we have that God is just sort of up in heaven He's this angry tyrant. He's always angry and he's just waiting to get us and to judge us and to send us to eternal conscious punishment. But I would say that's actually not an accurate picture of God. Um, 
I would say that we are guilty, that all are guilty, all deserve to die, but God still loves us. And as a result of his love, he's made a provision or a way for us to find our way to him. Um, God is not willing, it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So God has an intention or a desire for all to be saved, and yet not all are. Well, why is that? It's because they choose to go after or sow into their sinful nature. So I would say that God doesn't send anyone to hell. His desire is that all of us be saved. In fact, he's made a a provision for us to be saved, a way for us to be saved through the death of his his son, Jesus. And that in Jesus' death, um, death is conquered and that we have hope for the resurrection. Um, But we have the free will to reject Christ's sacrifice for our sins. Um, So God's choice is basically giving us what we choose. If we accept him and we serve him and we sow into the Holy Spirit, then we will reap eternal life. If we sow into our sinful nature and our selfishness and we chase after other gods and other ideas and other ideologies, then we are choosing to not follow him and he just gives us what we have chosen. Our eternal destiny really lies in our own hands and is a matter of our free choice where we spend eternity. Now, some would say, well, what about those who have never heard of Jesus? I think it's a fair question. It seems from scripture that Jesus, um, as the creator, has left evidence for the creator through the creation. It says in Romans chapter one that um, no one was is without excuse because the existence of God can be clearly seen through the creation. So there's things that God has revealed to us um, through the creation that he is intelligent, that he is powerful, that he exists, that he is loving. Um, But we still reject him. So I would say that we're accountable for whatever amount of revelation that we have. So even the quote-unquote person who's never heard the name of Jesus still has the created order. And I would say that whatever happens to that person after death, again, is a matter of justice, God's absolute justice, which will be absolutely fair. But my theory of this is that we're accountable for whatever level of revelation we have. And if we go after God's revelation, um, that's what he's going to hold us accountable for. I do think that if someone genuinely wants to find Jesus, the Lord will find a way. He'll find some missionaries. He'll find a... a radio, he'll find a, a Bible, he'll find something, some way to get that gospel, that good news to that person. Um, he'll come in a dream if he has to. He'll come in a vision if he has to. If a person really wants to find Jesus and wants to know about this creator, wants to know more, I truly believe that God will send somebody to them. And if there's no human that's willing to go, Jesus himself will go. All you have to do is go on YouTube and type in Muslims coming to faith in Jesus through dreams and visions, and you'll see how Jesus will go where there are new missionaries. And so if there is a way for 
um, God to send a human, I think he'll send a human. That's the first option. But God's plans for that person will not be thwarted if there's no human available. So I want to let my husband jump in here on this question, because I know that you get this question when you go out <laughs> and do street witnessing from time to time. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I get this question, uh, like, how could God send someone to hell just for like telling a simple little lie? And the way I like to answer that is is by saying, um, uh, the way to think about it is if, they are, if I were to lie to my daughter, uh, what's the worst she could do to me? She could maybe get, she might get upset. She might get a little angry. Okay. But if I were to tell a lie to my wife, heaven forbid, uh, the worst she could do for me is that she would leave me. Uh, if I were to tell a lie to my boss, uh, the worst he could do to me is I would get fired. If I tell a lie to a federal judge, the worst he could do to me is throw me in prison. These are sort of escalating. Exactly. These consequences are escalating. Yeah. So then, yeah, the idea is the person who's in higher authority carries a graver uh, set of punishment. And so when we lie because we're creating an image of God, uh, we're violating uh, him and his goodness. Therefore, that's the ultimate authority there that, that's based on why uh, hell exists, because it's based on just how what a great supreme being he is. But thankfully, he saves us from that uh, because all of us are lost. All of us are lost, but he provides a way out so that that's not um, our eternal destiny. So That's good. I like that because it really highlights how the Father is the supreme authority and he's the one that has set up how things operate. And um, that's, a, that's a, just kind of a, a simpler way to say what I'm saying, but I think that both answers are, are good. So, Juwada, I hope that helps you out. Um, I'm sorry that Monique wasn't here to help lighten the mood tonight. <laughs> uh, it's more fun with her. Aren't you glad that doesn't make you appreciate her voice when she's here? I'm missing her tonight. I'm missing the, the repartee that we have. So we'll wrap things up here with the tweet of the week. This is my family. We like puppets. Um, Okay, so the tweet of the week this week is my friend Elisa Childers, who I am such a fan of, constantly promoting her on social media. She's doing some very important work in the realm of progressive evangelicalism and highlighting some of these problems. So here was her tweet this week that she has a new podcast. And I thought this was such an important podcast. I wanted to highlight it as my tweet of the week. So go listen to it. It's called, Was Jesus a Racist? Was Jesus Racist? Sarah Bessie's Story of Becoming Affirming. And it's um, a guest with another gal that I know, Amy Hall from Stand to Reason. She's a blogger and apologist over there at str.org. So check out both of those ministries, uh, Amy Hall at Stand to Reason and my friend Elisa Childers. If you're not following them, you should uh, consider that on social media. But I want to talk a little bit about Elisa and Amy's discussion. I listened to it a few days ago. And um, Sarah Bessie is the author of a very popular book called Jesus Feminist. And she wrote it a few years ago. And recently, she announced on social media that she is 
uh, now gay affirming, which is code for um, no longer holding to a traditional view of marriage and that being gay is um, not a sin. And so she had, Sarah Bessie had a blog post about her journey to becoming gay affirming. There's her book, The Jesus Feminist, very popular book. And as you can see, endorsed by another progressive up there, Jen Hatmaker. And so her blog post recently was about her journey to being gay affirming. And she, she makes this statement that Jesus makes a racist comment to the Syrophoenician woman. And then the Syrophoenician woman, um, her response causes Jesus to rethink his comment and rethink his position. And so if Jesus could change his mind about uh, his racism, shouldn't that open up the gate for us to change our minds and become gay affirming? And Elisa and Amy have a really great and sharp discussion about this. And progressivism is, I always compare it to an ivy climbing on the side of your house. Like if you don't cut that thing back, it will take over. And so you really need to be aware of what's out there and the worldview that's impacting the emerging generation. Even if they're going to a Christian college they're getting hit with progressive evangelical ideas. So go listen to that podcast and maybe that'll lead you into a conversation with a friend from church, someone in your small group or your teenager. It really raises a lot of questions and uh, we need to be staying engaged with those around us and challenging people in our circles of influence. So go check out Elisa Childers podcast and her conversation with Amy Hall from Stand to Reason about Sarah Bessie and her journey to being gay affirming. I really hope that you'll find, I think you're going to find that podcast really helpful. Uh, be sure to check out our recent videos between Monique and I on critical race theory available on my YouTube channel and Facebook. We'd love to hear your comments. We'd love to have some shares. So sharing these videos is a wonderful way of helping to support this ministry you can always check out the show notes for more links. I'll put some links in there to Art Thomas's ministry and some of the things that he is up to in the show notes. Just go to all the things or no, go to uh, theologymom.com slash all the things. And also don't forget we're on podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. So if you missed the live stream, no worries. Just go catch the podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and we can entertain you on your commute. And I love all the love that you're sending, Monique. Um, I'm missing her too. Thank you for your prayers for her. Uh, she is a blessing to all of us and our family. And um, I'm missing her very much tonight, but I didn't want to postpone our conversation with Art. So thank you so much for watching. And we will, God willing, Monique will be back next week and we'll see you then. Thanks so much. God bless. Bye-bye.